On this episode of Year One, we speak to Garija, co-founder and CEO of Brazen Learning, which brings students into the lesson planning process by allowing them to vote on what they want to learn. Garija talks to the challenges of remote teams, the walkaway moments, selling a solution into a market that does not know that they actually need it, personal development, and coping with the low moments. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. The very first question that we ask everyone that comes on to Year One is, why entrepreneurship? If I have a look at your profile, you went the traditional route, you were a project manager, then you became a teacher. And then you decided, I'm off, I'm doing my own thing. What happened? Great question. It started, I think, from teaching. So I, I had an idea. I saw it, I tried it out in my classroom and I thought it worked and I wanted to find a way to scale it, but I had no idea how to go about it. And, and so I figured I'd do my degree proud and get a job and earn some money. And, and as I did it, I realized there could be better ways of spending my time about this. I have this really cool idea. I have the hustle and the drive to, to make things happen. Let's try it out. I think it's more of a combination of being a little brash and, and overly confident in my abilities and maybe wanting to work for yourself instead of working for somebody else, but also the thrill of having to work on your own and experience it all. And did you always have this desire to work for yourself? Kind of. I think so. I took a minute to think about it because I think so. I, I'm, I'm very, since I was a kid, I've been very independent and a little headstrong. And I think that can, that kind of came about in my professional world. What's so there about, wasn't any, sorry, sorry Satish, no, I was just going to say, we tend to sort of see things and then figure out if that's kind of what we want to do. So both from a teaching perspective or even entrepreneurship, were there models already in place for you where you said, Yes, I'm headstrong and I want to do my own thing. But was there people in your close circle that were already entrepreneurs that gave you some visibility to what you might be walking into? Maybe. So like in my personal circle that I was exposed to, not necessarily, but I was exposed to like my family has been really supportive in, in, in my di diverse interests and me exploring other ideas, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and I think that's like that support for my intellect, like for my curiosity, I think helped drive it. But from what I know about my grandfather, he was his own boss. He had started a company in India. And then like I have had my aunt, like my grandmother's sister, they've all been like educators of one, one way or another. And so I think it's probably in my genes and it's, and it came out when I, when I was here. Love that. And then tell us, Jirija, so. We want to understand a little bit about your business as well. So for our listeners, we're going to do the elevator pitch or the bar talk, considering <laughs> that I'm having a beer and we are going to find out exactly what your business is about. Tell us that, do the 30 second intro to what the business is about, and then tell us how it came about in terms of what type of problem you're solving and the journey that you've been on. Sure. So we started Brazen Learning really as a way to build products for the entire education community. All too often in education, students who are the main stakeholders of their own education are never really um, thought of or they're not necessarily given the, a voice or agency in their learning. 
And so that inspired our product, the Student Soapbox, to bring students into the lesson planning and the syllabus planning process by having them vote on what they'd like to learn and really reducing the barriers to collaborative education. And how did this idea come about? You said that while you were in the education system, while you were a teacher, you saw an opportunity. So, so what was wrong with the current education system almost that said, you know what, I need to do something differently? Yeah. So my first job out of college, I was, I was teaching chemistry and to high school kids and I was 22 at the time. So my boss gave me the textbook and he said, stay a day ahead of the kids. You'll be fine. They have to like, this is their last chance. Some of them had dropped out before, so just let's focus on trying to get them to through their high school diploma. So I get there, and I'm walking in this classroom, and my students, they all realize that I'm fresh meat, and that they were gonna, they're gonna try to break me. And so what I told them, I was like, listen, you guys are academic material, no matter what, has peop- what people have told you, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna take this textbook, and we're gonna toss it, and you're going to tell me what you want to learn, and I will teach it. And it did not go well. It was very tough. Like, they tested every single limit and every single opportunity that they had, and I reared it back into to appropriate syllabus in the school, and they realized I was serious about this. And then about midway through the year, they a shift happened in my students, and they actually brought me topics that they were genuinely interested in, and we would talk about it. And by the end of the year, you could see the confidence in my students, not just in my classroom, but how they approached school and even their home, just because I saw them as people as and had given them that voice. In fact, one of my students ended up getting a 90 on the final exam. And so I had I called his family at home and I was like, congratulations, he did a great job. I'm very proud of him. And so he comes into school and he's like, yo, miss. I'm like, yeah. Did you call my mom yesterday? I'm like, yes, I was very proud of you. And so, yes, I called your mom. And he's like, well, thank you. I've got an increase in my allowance. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> cute. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> then, so I wanted to find a way to scale this. So that way, no matter what teacher a student had, they at least had that opportunity to vote on what they wanted to learn, to provide their voice in their life. And so I knew that there was a way to do it, but I didn't know how. So after some time in different jobs, different sectors, and after my graduate degree in focusing on innovation and tech, I was able to come up with a platform and we and I kind of sat on it for a bit. And then when I met my co-founder, Brendan, actually was interviewing for a project manager job with him. And he could tell I was not very passionate about project management. And he asked me, what am I passionate about? And I told him my spiel and I we talked about education and I told him my vision for this platform to bring students into the into their own lesson learning process. And so I convinced him to start brazen learning with me instead. That's amazing. So, so obviously you had this idea, you met Brendan and that was it. Next day you built a business. It was easy as that. You yeah, went out yeah. and you got the funding, you required. <laughs> yeah, and, sounds but, but I mean, that, that's the story that, that <laughs> people see, isn't yeah. it? It's the end result that yeah. everyone sees. <laughs> It was not so, that easy, no. So talk us through a little bit. Well, I mean, from the time you actually came up with the idea, you had the conversation to get into the point where you actually had a platform available where students could come out and actually vote on their lesson plans. Oh, man. What wasn't involved? It was So one of the hardest things is we're, we're bootstrapped our company and we are, so we're working on whatever resources we have. We both have other, like other jobs that take up a, a part of our time as well. And 
We're both remote. He is currently in Grenada, but he was in New York at the time. And I'm here in Massachusetts. So, and our development team is also remote. So it's one of the biggest hurdles was having patience. Any idea, any thought, any change that needed to happen, there was a discussion, but that means that we had to wait for the right time zone to to meet. We had to think about scheduling and that patience, having patience to to follow through on something instead of just feeling like maybe it's not going to happen. That's definitely one of the hardest things that we had to get through and understand like our process to make brazen learning work for us. I love the idea of bootstrapping. I've bootstrapped the most of my companies. It, what I like about when you're bootstrapping is there's many moments that are your walkaway moments. And getting through each walkaway moment gets you tighter to what your purpose is. And I'm curious with the journey so far, can you share any walkaway moments where you're like, oh, no, I'm not walking away. This, we're going to get through this, but you know, I'd love to hear some of your walkaway moments that never happened. Yeah. Well, we've had a couple so far. I think one of them was initially getting our developers and really working on the product. The platform was designed. We had the architecture all done. And then it took almost it took almost a year to find the people to help, to bring them in and develop this product. And so that was a tough one. And then the many no's that you hear whenever you're out there, they're like, oh, yeah. So we would be at a conference or something and there'd be teachers who say, what brings students into this process? Giving them agency. That's ridiculous. And the amount of people that say, oh, that's such a great idea. That's a great tech, but we're investing in in our student information systems instead. So we're going to let's hold off for another year until we figure that out before we can even have another discussion. So the many no's that we hear can be tough. It makes you question, are you even on the right path? Does this make sense? And I think even another one in my case was, I was surprised that a product like this didn't, I haven't seen it out on the market. I've been in, working in three different schools, both public and private schools in my career so far. And I hadn't seen anything out there like this. And so it made me think, am I even thinking on the right track? But the more number of people that we talk to, the teachers that we talk to, the students that we, we talk to, there's definitely a lot of buy-in. And I think it helps reinforce that. And then any small win we get, that kind of reinforces the let's, let's keep on doing this. Let's get it. You mentioned that Brendan is not in the same location as you. Is that correct? Yes. So you've got a, okay. So you're working with a remote co-founder, you're working with the remote development team, and this was essentially your first venture into building this tech platform. That's correct? Yes, exactly. So how did you overcome the challenge? Because this is the new environment that we work in now with remote teams all over the show, but to start a business with a remote co-founder, how did you make that? Great question. Yeah, we started remote before we had to. And I think what made this work was a level of accountability about on both of our parts, high communication and, and an understanding and patience of making sure that maybe I missed that email or maybe he missed that email and having that patience to be like, hey, follow up on this. I need an answer. Let's find some time and let's discuss it. And I think those qualities really helped help us get through to where we are so far. No, that's great. Open communication. We built this company for two years with a fully remote team and we didn't meet even my founding partners until it was legally allowed for people to get together. <laughs> so I totally appreciate what you're going through. Let's talk about the culture for a little bit. 
Yeah. Because we're you know from a South Asian perspective, entrepreneurship is still frowned upon unless it's a handed down thing from generation. Here's dad's business, mom's right. business, but you're also in a approved profession. You're an educator. Like that, right. You yeah. Know, it goes right up there with the doctors and the engineers. And so when you're looking at sort of diving into this world and building out sort of your own, I guess, way to sort of stay in the culture, but also be your own person, you're also now walking into entrepreneurship. Fundamentally, the business is male dominated. You've got a growing population of awesome female founders. And then you go narrow again with EdTech, which is even smaller. <laughs> I know. Um, how do you build a mentor advisory group around you? Because so many folks are like, I want support, but do I reach out? Do I ask first? Do I create collisions? Do I go to networking groups? Like, how do you stay sort of connected? That's a great question. And I think that's something that I'm still looking to do as well. I'm very fortunate. My brother is awesome. And he's, he's my sounding board. He's my, I'm like, is this an appropriate email to send? And he'll make fun of me first, but then he'll help me out because he's a true brother. But leveraging like his support and his network of people has been awesome. And then just being open to ask questions, offering to help anybody that I can and just Anybody who's willing to answer a question can be a mentor to me. I think that's how I approach it. It's not necessarily a formal relationship and I don't, and I am always looking for more people, but also reaching out to the support systems that are out there. There's something called a SCORE network here in the United States. They're like the, I can, I'll have to Google what that, what they stand for, but basically they're a nationwide group of former founders and of all industries from like cookies, imports to so who knows what? And they're always looking to help budding entrepreneurs if you have questions and be a sounding board. And so if I had any questions about that, I would reach out to them. Um, and then the most recent, like the Ed Inno community that was that we were part of, that we got to graduate from the Product Market Fit Lab. That's also opened us up to a lot of people who are willing to share their time and their advice for us. Yeah, no, I love that. You were one of the first people to jump in and give me some advice around the U.S. cool system. So I already knew we were going to be good friends. And on a side <laughs> note, 27 years of entrepreneurship, my brother is still trying to tell me, get a job. Yeah. It, feels like a, it feels like a long side hustle. And so hats I hear that to too. your brother. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I still hear that too. But in the end, like it's, of course, it's a full level of support for sure. So Garija, you mentioned that the reason this business came about was you looked at and you couldn't find anything like this in the marketplace. How did you then get it out into the marketplace? You created a market for an audience that didn't know they actually needed this? <laughs> exactly. That's a great question. And we're still finding our footing in the market. But really what it, or it came down to, there are teachers who understand the issue that I experienced and the issue of disengaged students. Disengagement ranks high amongst all principles, probably one of the top three issues that they, they talk about year in, year out, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. But the solutions that are out there seem to only resolve around one, one area of engagement. It's either focused on behavioral engagement or it's a way to digitize a worksheet, make it easier to use, make it a little flashier, gamify it. But it really doesn't dive into the core understanding of student engagement, which drives into connecting with their peers and with their teacher, and then thinking about why they're learning something. 
And where we're coming from is we dive into all three avenues with the student soapbox. Students are able to understand or question why are their peers voting for this over this? Or they can connect to their teacher by saying, even if they don't have a good talking relationship, having that digital barrier and that layer of anonymity allows them to maybe introduce a topic to their teacher that they would have been hesitant to talk about in the classroom. But also it gets them to think about what is coming up in their future of learning and why. Should I be learning about this? But this seems more up my alley. This seems more up our whole classroom's alley because this is something that we're all gravitating to more than something else. And so finding that, finding that messaging that works and resonates with those school districts, with those schools that are, that are already working towards reimagining how education can transform into better student agency, those schools are, are who we're working with to, to really drive our products. Let me ask you, on the other side of what you just said, one can argue that in, in a world that is focused on personalization and individualized thinking, you're suggesting decision by majority. If the entire class wants to do something, but I don't, what's the lesson I'm getting from that moment? Great question. The lesson is, it's really driving into, there are commonalities between things that even though I may not always win every time, maybe there's something that's common that I can gravitate to. It helps us understand our abilities in terms of, and I want to bring back into a democracy of understanding there are things that we can use our vote and our voice for. We may not win. We may be able to then campaign. We can build campaigns around certain lessons for our students for to vote on. But really, as a student, you're learning sometimes it's okay to lose and you're still going to be okay. Kids that, that is a great way to look at it, man. Yeah, especially look with immigration and people coming into different political ecosystems and, in, and having different voting rights and different forms of democracy, learning much at a younger age, at a much younger age, what that means that your vote matters. You know, I'm, I live in a very multicultural community and I've seen how during the voting time, it doesn't impact us. Like vote, it's your voice, it's your right. And people that didn't grow up in that ecosystem are like, I don't have any time. What does it really matter? Will my one vote really make the difference? You have a chance to say it does make a difference, even if it doesn't go your way. Yeah. And I think that's true even for kids who are growing up in that in that kind of an environment as well. Voter, voter, I forget the word, but in voter engagement at the 18 to 29 age group is incredibly low for the United States. And it's and it's so sad because they're the ones who most of these policies impact the most because they, they have the longest to experience these policies. And sure, there are some barriers to the vote in terms of registration and stuff like that. But really, it's more of when you turn 18, nothing magical happens to you. Yeah. So, so how do you know how to use that voice? And so we wanted to build this framework so that way, K through 12, your students are exposed to using their vote, their voice. They're exposed to campaigning. They're exposed to recommending lessons or requesting lessons that impacts them, that they can then leverage that decision-making and that voice-using abilities that they have to civic engagement when they grow up. Yeah, and that change is going to happen as young people wake up. And I think teaching them much younger in an environment like school obviously teaches them that lesson. I want to talk about the choices you're making 
and whatever lessons and choices you made got you this far. You got future milestones you want to hit. You want to be in different school districts. Maybe one day leave the full-time gig and do this full-time. For sure. <laughs> when you look ahead, what are some of the things that you have to develop into from a skills perspective or growth perspective? What are the things on your checklist that you want to focus on? Wow. Definitely it has to go into to my exposure and being a better leader for my team, making sure that I'm there for them as much as they are there for me. And because they're the ones who are also like helping this forward. So making sure that I continue to to be the best leader I could be for them, understanding the policies that are out there and really working with policymakers to understand that the solutions that are out there in the ed education market specifically for ed tech, let's improve ed tech policies to make it easier to bring in great products into schools and really just continuing my own, like my own learning, getting back into different products that we need, like better, like on our product roadmap and, and understanding what can we do to help keep on solving the problem of education. I could just stay in with you for a minute. What has been your lowest moment on this journey? Great question. I think one of them, there are times where you're working on this product and there's everything like is happening all at once. You're responding to potential sales leads. You're building your product, you're getting approved on our, on platforms or we're getting there. And then all of a sudden everything drops. You've done everything that you can that's in your control. And then you're, you have to give up control because there's nothing more that you can do. And you're either in that waiting game or you're, you have to move on and experience one of those things. So we were working with somebody really great progress. Like we were about to make our sale and something happened and we weren't able to close it and we've done everything we've done our follow-ups but they had to leave this is during the pandemic there was a break in the cycle and the organization completely changed and so their priorities changed before we could get our contract fully signed and executed so we lost out and it, at that point it was just like we were so close but we just we like if only he signed the contract and then took the leave of absence, things would have been fine. But like he got the email and that day he had to leave. And so that, that was hard. Let me tell you, like we were so close and then we're like, we couldn't believe it and we were psyched. And then all of a sudden it changed and we were calling. We had to understand the, what happened there. And it was out of our control. And having the ability to understand that some things are out of your control and it's okay, that it's a hard moment. It's, it's almost it's very humbling and it's and it's very scary to be in that situation where oh no maybe this is not the right path forward maybe we have to take a step back maybe this is one of those walk away moments and we actually and we stuck through it so so on that point that's neat because that was going to be my follow-up question now so you're going to experience those low moments you're going to experience those walk away moments and you're going to go shit is this really the right path for me what are your coping techniques or the things that you do to actually say, you know what, fuck that, I'm pushing forward? Yeah. Lots of beer. Yeah, exactly. So, so other than those light calls that are in the fridge. So I think it's important to acknowledge like the feelings that you have, like the give yourself that time to be like, this is really sad. This is a sad moment. This is hard. Give yourself that time to to like really, I wouldn't say grieve, but I don't know, just, just feel it. And then 
give yourself, take a day away, step away from the business, tell your team that this is what happened. We need to regroup. Give me a day or two. And then find, like completely shut off your brain and then try again. And then the great thing is getting a really good night's sleep. That, that recharge is just, once you sleep and you wake up, it's a new day and it's amazing. So I think that helps. I love that. And then I want to close off this conversation now. And the way we close it off is I'm going to throw three words at you. And for each word, I would like you to actually say, what is the first thing that comes to mind in the context of what you're doing now? So the first one is family. I, ha- I love them. I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't understand what you meant by this question. So you're starting a business, you're running a business and you need a support structure around you. So if you think about your family in relation to this journey that you're on, what actually comes to mind? Oh, incredible gratitude for being there, allowing me to be who I am and, and really just be supportive and listen when I need a sound. And team. Again, grateful. They're the backbone of who we are as a company. And so making sure that they're well taken care of and that they're they're succeeding in terms of their own skill sets and what they want to learn from in in relation to working with us and making sure that we're giving them at least those avenues of support and growth. And then the last word is entrepreneurship. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite things that I've experienced so far, just being able to wear many hats. And again, the highs and the lows, they're all worth it because it's such a, it's such a thrill that you don't want to leave it. I love that. That's, yeah. I love that, man. And my last two sort of thank you comments before Dion closes off is one, you're extremely humble and we can see how full of gratitude you are, which is the secret sauce in this whole game and something that you can't teach. You got to just be that person. And for all the ventures I've ever done, I got to tell you, there's no such thing as this good news and bad news because you give enough time to anything, the problem looks different and feels different. And the lost deal today will feel like a gift three months from now because something else will prove that this wasn't supposed to happen. But in other industries, they don't have that time to have that visibility and entrepreneurship gives you that. So some of my greatest lessons came from taking out this label of what happened now was good or bad. It's what happened now just happened. And let's see what happens. And I think you've got all the right ingredients to do something brilliant with your company. And I'm excited to see it. Thank you so much. It's been, it's so great to to be able to chat with you guys, to hang out here. And thank you to your listeners. I am very appreciative of of making sure that we keep in touch. And talking about that, how do people reach out to you? Please feel free to reach out to me at G-I-R-I-J-A at brazenlearning.com, Girija at brazenlearning.com. Check us out on our website, Brazen Learning. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. I talk a lot about Boston sports and I'm always happy to have a chat about the Celtics. So let's go. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Garija. Everything of the best. And we will reach out to you again in a year's time to see how phrase and learning has progressed Woo, since we've last spoken. Awesome. That sounds great. Take care, Dia. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Suthish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by Bluemex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.